stars they wept The morning sun was dead The savior of the world was fallen His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse One final breath he gave as heaven looked away. The Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away, his perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you
Okay, if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will be the last and final, um, if you want to call it, Easter sermon. Um, looking at the resurrection, looking at how it applies to our lives and the life of the church. So as you are turning there, um, I love to read, think, analyze, and study past history and also present history. As a pastor, I think it's important that I really understand how the world works. When events take place today on American soil, reactions from this group of people or that group of people, that sometimes almost catches me off guard to think like, well, why that reaction? I'm missing something. Um, Nothing happens in isolation, right? Past events lead to uh, present outcomes that then alter the future. Therefore, I dive deep into history and I attempt with my feeble mind to understand what I can. One way to do this is I I love reading biographies like the huge mega ones that are just huge because these biographies and the authors that write them do not simply tell the story of a single person, but of an era of the world that that person lived in. And they show you this is the world that they were surrounded by and this is how that world shaped them, shaped their beliefs, shaped their actions, that shaped them as a person. Um, I, I, I read a trilogy once in Theodore Roosevelt, and it did that exact thing. Um, this is also true in your own life, though, right? You know that story, stories or events that have taken place in your own life have caused you in some way today to be the man or woman that you are. If I were to sit down and and dig through your life story, um, you would find that it wasn't just that one event or this other event, but there was many things at play that shaped you to be who you are today. I grew up in Georgia, playing in creeks and climbing trees and shooting cows with BB guns and going to friends' grandfather's farm and having to pull leeches off my legs with lighters. Like, that was my childhood, okay? Does it sound awesome? Yeah, it was. It was great. That's how I grew up, and it it did shape me, right? It shapes how I think about things and how I even treat my own children and what I want to give them today. But when Christianity entered the world scene, when the resurrection of Christ took place on that fateful morning, it forever changed and altered this, altered this, this pattern of our present being shaped by our past, because the interesting thing is this, the resurrection of Jesus, a past event, and track this with me here, it was actually a future event breaking into our past world. Scripture claims that the resurrection will one day be a worldwide event when Jesus returns, that all of us will be resurrected, some to eternal life and some to everlasting damnation. And Jesus was simply the first fruits of that future event, kind of like the first vegetable that you pinch off the garden for the season, right? Um, We will also be resurrected in his likeness just as he was. Now what this has done for us in a way is for Christians, for those who have faith in Jesus, this has made permanent your future. When you hear Christians refer to the Christian hope that we have, that is what we are referring to. Our future is permanent. When you believe in Jesus, you suddenly inherit 
a, this is interesting, like a past event that is also a down payment of sorts for a future event that forever changes the present. And amazing that Christianity gives, gives meaning to the past, gives us hope for the future that changes our present. And the church today is intended to be a preview of the age that is to come when Jesus returns. That's the role of the Spirit today. He's making us new, as we will see even now, to give this world a glimpse for Emmanuel to be a little like pockets of however imperfect it will be, a little pocket of a glimpse of, of heaven on earth and how we love one another and how we love God and how we care for our neighbor and we share the good news of Jesus with them. There's nothing else like this on earth. No other religion offers such a comprehensive hope and solidity for for this life that we have on earth. It makes Christianity very unique amongst world religions. But the good news, yes, is that your future is sealed. Heaven does await you, but even more so, a new heavens and new earth awaits you. A new physical body awaits you. A future where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more tears, no more crying. And today, how we operate as a church is to give a world, the world a glimpse of that very thing. I hope you're kind of squirming as you hear this, because maybe if you're thinking like me, when you hear those truths that are revealed in Scripture, as we'll see, you're thinking, wow, it's a little hefty. That's kind of a big job, right? That we are to represent God's work on earth, like right now. Yes, that's true, and it involves you, and it actually demands, it makes demands on your life, even now. There's lots of joys of being a Christian. Highest joys you could possibly imagine are available to us, even as we sung, It Is Well With My Soul, and I shared this story not that long ago, that those kinds of songs can be written as the author of that was in a ship, as his daughters were essentially in the graveyard below him in the ocean where their ship had just wrecked some months before. As he stood and was above his own daughters, he could write, it is well with my soul. There is so much available to us in the Christian life, but it makes demands on us that we have to take serious because we have one life, right? We have one chance at this and there's not time to waste in this. So today, church, we're going to talk about the ministry of the church. We're going to be talking about what we must be doing and how we must be ministering as the church in light of the cross and the resurrection. Um, receiving the calling to be the pastor here at Emmanuel, I, I do not want to simply ask us to sit on our hands and kind of wait this one through, right? I don't want us to just uh, cruise on as business as usual in, in our comfort, most comfortable spot that we possibly be in. No, I have, if I understand the scriptures, much greater expectations for all of us who are image bearers of our Lord and are recipients of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. As we'll see this morning, God has work for all of us to do. However old you may be or young you may be. The resurrection has sealed this for us and has given us this as a guarantee. And so I want to look at this beginning in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. If you can turn your Bibles with me there. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. 
we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not what is in the heart. A little brief kind of background on this text. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, which is essentially in ancient Greece, that area at least. There were leaders who slipped in after Paul left, and they were causing disruptions, causing splits, rival factions. Thankfully, those problems have left the church in modern times, right? That was kind of a joke because if you spend any time in church, you're going to see problems. It doesn't matter what church it is on earth, there will be problems in every church. And this church had their share of it, right? Disruptions and splits and rival factions. And there was leaders of very big personalities that were trying to call certain groups to follow them up and against the other groups to follow that leader. And Paul had to continually, to our knowledge, even he even had to write three letters to this church. We have two preserved. There's hints that the third was actually written to continually bring this kind of correction to them. The church got deeply distracted by eternal problems, divisions and attachments to leadership personalities. And as Paul is trying to kind of bring them back to the original calling that they had to have a healthy church that is reflective of Christ and on the mission that he left us to go make disciples of all nations, Paul is saying this. He says, I'm about to remind you some of the things I taught, but I'm not trying to commend myself saying, I, Paul, told you this and you must follow Paul. Right? He's like, I'm not trying to commend myself because all this is bigger than me. This is my paraphrase, what we just read. This is all bigger than me, guys. It's not about outward appearances or about who Paul is. Jesus has bigger things in mind. He has your heart and changed hearts in mind. He continues on. He says in verse 13, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ's love controls Paul. And sometimes he acts a little crazy because of it, right? When the door's shut, maybe Paul's kind of saying this, like, the love of Christ sometimes drives me to do some crazy things, but sometimes I feel the need to, like, restrain myself around you because you're not ready for this stuff yet, is what he's trying to say to them, right? And the all usage in this passage is referring to this church. He's saying, church, he's died for all of you. But his death, in a way, has shaped you. We've talked about this, Right? Christ's death has shaped us because it wasn't just Jesus who died, right? Because when we believe in him, when our faith is in him, Paul says that we, in a way, then instantly we share in his death. Paul elsewhere says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We share in the death of Christ. And how so? Well, he just told us. He says, this happens that those who might live, uh, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is how the church is shaped by the cross. 
back to that past kind of present future analogy, the church was shaped by the cross and that when we believe in Jesus, we died with Jesus and we die to ourself. Life is no longer about yourself. Life is no longer about things encircling around you, about you thinking about decisions in your own life or your family's life that makes you the most happy. Rather, you look at Christ's death and he died to himself. He took on all the sin of his shoulders in the most humble and sacrificial manner. And he's saying, I am calling you to do the same. The spirit of God is in you to drive you to do this. And so rather than seeking after your own interests, You look around and say, what can I do for those around me, even if it is at the expense of myself? That is the kind of spirit-filled, transformative love that the church in Corinth desperately needed as they were squabbling about in all their own internal divisions. This can happen institutionally as well to a church as a whole. What happens when the church forgets something like this? And the church begins existing for the sake of itself. It happens too often. It happens when the church becomes more interested in things like self-preservation than anything else. It happens when we set up guards thinking, well, you know, we kind of always done it this way. So no, we're not going to think of any other way. It's that kind of thinking versus what must it take to bring people to Jesus? What must it take to spread the love of God with all of our hearts? and to bring the gospel to our neighbors. What will it take to see new people come to faith regardless of its effect on this church and what we must do, what we must change? Those are two very different ways to approach this. And Paul is approaching that with the church in Corinth. One is an inward disposition that is equivalent to navel gazing, right? Is that phrase still used today, navel gazing? right? Just kind of like curving inward. It comes from St. Augustine way back in the day that said, can it, uh, sin is curving in on yourself, right? You ever curl up on the ball and then, you know, if you do that, what are you looking at? Your own like stomach and you imagine just walking around that way as if you're just kind of, that's how you see the world is just staring at yourself. And he's saying that's sin. It, it, it's, it's destructive, right? And even the church can do that by curling in on itself and becoming only about itself. And Paul's saying, guys, like open up here. Look at the big picture. Look at the the work of God across this world. We gotta start asking bigger questions. We are here as a church to make Jesus famous, to make Jesus known and to glorify him with all of our hearts and to pour out the love that he has given us upon our neighbors and upon one another. If there is a legacy that any church is to want to preserve, it is that legacy. We must be willing to do what we must, to take even this church and to say, how can we do that in this unique, very unique times, unprecedented times that we live in, in 2021. Paul continues on. He says, he says, for now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Look, it's present terms. This isn't future talk. He says, you are, right? He is, she is. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is passed away and behold, the new has come. Paul says at one point, he says, I only saw Jesus as a man 
But after the resurrection, I realized he was so much more. This world that we see, this physical world, there's so much more going on around us. He says, open up your eyes, church, right? You're stuck in all these people-based divisions and personalities speaking to the church in Corinth and all these conflicts. He says, but the church is bigger than just the physical. It's the spiritual. He then shifts his thinking, right, Um, uh, to show how not only it's the cross of Christ that shapes us, but the impact of the resurrection on your life today. And it shapes you. He says, if you are in Christ this morning, you are a new creation. That is now language. That is not tomorrow when he returns. Paul, if you look in chapter four, it is clear that he is referring to the ministry of the Spirit, to the giving of the Spirit who dwells in you for those who have faith in the atoning work of Christ. The resurrection has made claim on your life today and has breathed new life into your heart today, giving you not a heart of stone, but softening up to a heart of flesh as Ezekiel spoke of. The Spirit of God is renewing you right now. This renewing work, Paul has just mentioned, it is no longer living for yourself, but for him who's for, for, uh, who died for your sake, and was also raised for your sake to newness of life. It is now that the Spirit of God fills you that you are then to overturn the keys of your heart to God, saying, I don't have authority of myself anymore. I don't have the keys to my life anymore. Here, God, they belong to you. The death of Christ has called me to die to myself, saying that person is gone. He's dead. He has passed away. Behold, I am new. I have a new identity, a new name before Jesus. I have a new heart before him, and I have been given now a new story, a redeemed story that simply cannot be explained apart from the cross and the resurrection. You can't talk about yourself if you know Jesus without telling him what he has done for you. There is no more telling of your life story without saying, but God changed me and he saved me and set me on a new trajectory in my life. And I can't wait to tell you about what he has done for me. That is your story this morning. And if we zoom out, That is the story of our church. This work that we're talking about, it can be be described as Paul does, as uh, as being reconciled back to God. Paul describes this in verse 18. He says this, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And look at this. We're not done because he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're not just recipients of the salvation to kind of kick back and say, oh, this is nice. I'm enjoying this new life in Jesus. I'm just going to kind of sit back. He says, no, 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 no. Whoa, that's not what's going on because he's, he's given you this ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Just yesterday, I opened up the mail and I got a check for 40 bucks. I don't know what it was, some insurance overpayment thing. And I'll take 40 bucks. That sounds great, right? Um, you know, in other words, somebody was looking. This is, what, this is what the word means in its original, you know, language here. If somebody was looking at our payments and our insurance payments and said, oh, they, 
They overpaid, right? Their, their payment was satisfied and they paid a little too much. So here's a reimbursement. The, the, the language here is to be reconciled to God is a reference to having all of your rap sheet of all of your sins, past and present, satisfied in the cross. It's satisfied and it's paid for, but even more so, God has grabbed you by the shoulders and is pulling him, pulling you towards himself. He is saying, it's, it's not enough that your sins are done, like you have to be in me now. Your spirit is, is tugging you to get closer and to get closer to me that you may reflect more and more of me to this world. That is what it means to be reconciled to God. The grace of God is unleashed on us and he pulls us toward himself. And as we get closer to him, he looks us in the eyes and he says, there's people who aren't here with me. I have children in this world who do not know the joys of salvation or the glories that is found in me. I'm going to entrust this to you. I'm going to give over this ministry reconciliation by the help of, our, of his spirit, right? He's our helper who indwells in us. I'm spitting everywhere. Thankfully, you guys are far away from me. He's saying, I, I have entrusted this to you, this message of the gospel of reconciliation. Have you ever been entrusted with something so important, a message that's very, very important to deliver? I looked up some funny stories about important messages delivered over time, right? But I was going to share some of that, but whatever. You know, it, it doesn't matter because whatever message that we can find in history of a really important messenger for, I even found pigeons delivering messages in World War II that actually happened and saved people's lives. It's fascinating YouTube, you know, wormhole there. Look up how pigeons deliver messages in history. They did. But anyway, it doesn't matter what messages are being delivered because the gospel message is vastly superior to anything that anyone has ever been entrusted with because the scope of the world and world history is at stake, right? Can we be entrusted with any bigger news than this? The message of the availability of reconciliation to God by the death and resurrection of Christ, it is not for you to soak up in and lay back in a bubble bath in your room thinking, well, this is nice warm water. I'll put some salts in. I don't know if you, I guess that's a thing, right? Bath salts, I don't ever, I don't ever take baths. Just like, I want to soak it up and just enjoy this. He's saying you have to be sent out. This world is being shot down by the evil one, right? And we are to carry the good news that Jesus is alive, that death has been conquered, that forgiveness of sins is available. And just like he told Abraham from of old, he is reconciling the world to himself. He said, through you and your family, all peoples of the world will be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, you were fulfilling that today when you were sent out as his messengers. Now, Paul gets this. He takes it one step further by way of kind of a metaphor. He says in verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are not just messengers, but ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Our being a messenger is stretched to then become an ambassador. Certainly ambassadors send messages, but ambassadors do more than just send messages. To be ambassador of Christ means that you are his official representation on earth. And not only that, but you conduct business on his behalf. God is making his appeal to this world through you 
the appeal of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. And as the world is being one person at a time brought near to Jesus, he is using you to do it. So when people see you, they are glimpsing the love of Christ. That's what it means to be an ambassador. You are sent to not just deliver a message, but to be in his likeness as the message bearer. Now, I want you to be sweating this morning, all right? If you start smelling and separate from one another, you know, just like, feel the weight of this. This is weighty, guys. This is what Paul was telling church in Corinth. Like, you, you guys are distracted here. Like, this is the stuff that's going on. This is stuff that matters. And it, one soul is worth all of our prayers and all of our love. Like, there, there's no time for this, church in Corinth. There's no time for these things. Like, focus, focus. This is what Paul is saying. So I want to do that to us this morning, right? I want to look at us. Recognize that we are a 150 plus year old church. We have been a continual ambassador-like witness and presence of the gospel in Wilmington. However imperfect it has been and guaranteed to still be in the future, this passage today informs us on how we are to think of ourselves as a church, how we are to act and how we are to live and also how we are to have the aims of our ministry, the aims of those in between the things, like how do we develop a culture here at this church that is reminiscent of these things, is reflective of these things. Because ambassadors are more than just like those pigeons I briefly mentioned that fly around the communicated message, right? We are the official representation on earth. So I wanna start asking questions um, about this. Okay, there's a couple of questions I want to ask as we work towards the back end of our sermon this morning. How do these things involve us? Because Paul was basically saying like, you know, this is his message of correction, if you will, or uh, or, uh, um, fine-tuning to this church in Corinth. And so, you know, if, um, if Paul was writing to us today, okay, what would he have to say to Emmanuel? Well, that'd be nice to know, but he's not here, but God's spirit is with us. And so I've tried to redirect these kind of things toward us to say, look, you know, you have a new pastor, right? Um, We're in the new chapter at this church, right? We're trying to step forward with newness and and ministry and vision and want to see Emmanuel grow and to to reach the lost and become, you know, a a, a church on the corner of this, of our neighborhood here that is really ministering well to our slide. How do we do these things? What are things of renewal that we could use here? Two questions. Right, that I, can, I think we can ask ourselves is one, how does this involve us as a church in cultivating this new creation work of the Spirit in our lives by things like discipling one another, spending time with one another? Nobody becomes a new creative work of God by sitting in the room all alone. You are not the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. There's a big difference. By discipling one another, spending time with one another, investing into one another relationally, praying for one another, growing together, not just praying for one another, but praying together with one another, and even just being friends, just being a good friend that is next to you during those hard and difficult seasons that is a trustworthy phone call to make to say, I just need to talk. I just need you to be with me. I just need you to go see a movie with me and not even talk, but just to sit with me. Number two, how is this bleeding onto the community around us? 
As we become this family of Christ being made new in the image when Jesus said they will know us by our love for one another, as that is happening amongst here as we aim to cultivate that here, how is this then bleeding onto the community around us? How, are we, how, how have we become ambassadors for Jesus entrusted with the all-important life and death message of salvation that is found in Christ? And what if we ask those questions and we see areas in our church that's like, yeah, there's opportunities for growth here, right? And that's exactly why the New Testament was written, right? There was no perfect church in the early church. It didn't take 150 years for a church that was mere, you know, five, six years old, 10 years old, maybe, to get into the shape it did in Corinth. Every church is going to need to ask these questions continually, right? Because wherever people are found, you're going to find problems. I hate to say that, but we know that's true, right? Paul kind of ends here in verse 20 on this section is where we're going to end. He says, really, he says, the change kind of begins with you. He says this, we implore you, you know, Big cultural changes needed in the church in Corinth. Big picture stuff. And Paul is like, all right, here's where it gets down to it. This begins with you. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When you read something like that, you need to read it as if it's written to you. Like read that and say, okay, I am the recipient of this. Paul, yes, he wrote this to the church in Corinth, but it is preserved in order that you may read that and substitute it, by, substitute it as if Paul is talking directly to you and saying, you be reconciled to Christ. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You say, wait, but I'm a Christian. These, these people are Christians. This is, Paul's writing to Christians. What do you mean reconciled to God? Well, because the work of Christ, although it is finished, forgiveness of sins is a completed work. Jesus says it is finished when he gave his last breath. But yet the work of the Spirit is not complete in your life. Not, none of you have arrived. I'm sorry to say that, but none of you have arrived. And none of you will arrive. Jesus Christ was made to be sin, that even though he was truly innocent, so that in him we might become, that means that we might actually be doing the righteous work and ministry of God as reflected through us. The whole thrust of this passage is one of doing this ambassador work of reconciliation. And Paul says such work embodies the very righteousness of God even in your own life by the help of the Spirit. So the following chapters in 2 Corinthians kind of lays out Paul's elaboration that's specific to Corinth, okay? And so I want to re-pick up that question of what about us, right? We asked some questions already on the back end of our sermon. Um, and we said, if Paul could write to us, what would they be? Well, you know, I want to just talk bluntly here and just say, you know, I don't know all the answers here at Emmanuel. I do know we'll be taking one step at a time to continue to grow and to refine and to, and to be a church that can be then passed on to even my kids' generation and even my grandchildren's generation. Oh, that's a crazy thought. My kids are so little. But even just to pass down to the next generation. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I spent uh, the past couple of weeks doing very fun work, which is reading church constitutions from Emmanuel's history. I know it sounds very thrilling, right? It was thrilling. It was thrilling. Let me tell you. You know, stuff from 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you know, just reading and trying to 
trying to piece together the, the story of a church. You know, any church that's our age, there's a long story to it, right? As an outsider coming in, uh, however we got here today, from the beginning of our sermon, it's affected by our story. So how do we get here, right? Um, the most I can gather is that for about 50 years, our infrastructure here at Emmanuel has really not changed at all. About 50 years, okay? And some couple of questions we can ask is, is the world different than it was 50 years ago? Those of you who are maybe older than that, yeah, is it different than the world it was in this? Yeah, a little bit, just a little bit, right? I wanna ask you a personal question. Are you a different person than you were 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago? I hope you are, right? I'm sure you hope that about yourself too. I want every five years to look at my five-year-old self that was, he's like, I'm a different, I can't believe I, what I did. I'm a different person now, right? So we know that applies to us personally. It also applies to the church as a whole because change is, is, not, is, is needed across not just our life, but also in every church's life. As we take steps forward as a church, we must embrace that there's gonna be some change ahead of us. Change not only in how we do ministry and perhaps doing new things, which we probably will be, but change might just be happening at some of the deepest core of who we are, how we organized, some of the culture we, hear, we have here at the church, not changes in what we believe. The beauty of the gospel is that those are timeless truths that can be applied to any culture, anywhere in this world and be sustained for thousands of years. But how the gospel truths are carried out, um, they're flexible. They're, that's why every culture can adopt Christianity. It's a beautiful thing. When Paul says, be reconciled to God, he is saying to the church in Corinth, maybe you guys need to return just a, a reminder of some of the basics here. Be close to God. Draw near to him. Be close to God. If I can start anywhere, can I just start there, church? Are you close to God? I mean, like, if I were to walk with you throughout a whole week, what would just a fragrance of Christ be flowing out of you? Like, when you wake up, do you just roll over and just say, God, thank you for this new day. New mercies are new every day. Do you cultivate a daily, I mean, daily relationship with Jesus? Like, are you hard at work at this? Because he is chasing you, I'm guaranteeing it. He is after you. And if there's any step we can take that step one, do that. Cultivate a daily, meaningful, spiritually deep relationship with God. The Spirit is begging you to do it. He is on the door, just in your heart's door, just knocking, saying, pursue me, I'm pursuing you. Open up this door. I want all of you, I want you closer to me than you ever have been before. I also need you along with me to consider committing to a few things as we individually cultivate that closeness and nearness and with God. I want to stretch all of us in the oncoming months, push all of us to the best I, I can, and really we can, because it's not just gonna be me here, um, uh, to push us and consider a few things that might be needed if we are to consider all that we've heard this morning as we close up this sermon series on making all things new, on a text that is just begging and imploring us to be reconciled to God for newness even today. Here are some things I want to consider um, for you guys to pray for, for our church. Pray with me, pray with the elders, pray with us for these potential changes coming up. 
that were needed. Emmanuel has been an island for too long without outside relationships or any sort of umbrella of relationship to help sharpen and grow us as a church. We need to make connections like that as a church. Um, pray for us for that regard. Please join us in prayer for those things. I know this is a long sermon. I'm sorry, whatever. Um, secondly, um, I'm going to take the next step and admit that I'm 34 years old, okay? I've been in ministry since my early 20s in a vocational aspect of least. Um, I also don't have it all figured out. I'm sorry to tell that to you, but I don't have all that I, you know, all the tools that I wish I had, you know? I need to grow too. Um, I'm going to be pursuing, you know, mentorship and, and coaching on the outside to say, I, I need help to, to lead this church. Like, I, I want to expend myself, but I want to do it in a wise way that's not going to burn me out or, you know, I want to be here for the long haul. So I, I need to pursue outside help as well. It's expensive. Three, $5,000 or probably a year or more or so of coaching. And so can you pray for that kind of money to be provided so I could get coaching to provide me with the right tools and the right growth as your new lead pastor here to do the best that I can to lead this church forward. And lastly, most importantly, most importantly, are you willing to pray and to pursue gospel change in your own life in the deepest and most impactful of ways? Any step we take forward as a change or any kind of ministry you want to endeavor in, if you're lackluster in your love for Jesus, then we're, we're not going to be going anywhere, right? We need a passion for Jesus, church. We need a passion for worship. We need a passion for the Spirit to fill us, to say, I can't wait to live this out amongst my Christian brothers and sisters in this congregation and also my neighbors. If it's not beginning there, there's not much that I can do here. Because this is a we effort. It is the work of the body of Christ. Be open to see a refreshed and renewed church and to pursue that and to say, God, how can I be a part of the things coming up? How can I be used in you? And I guarantee you, he will have something in store for all of us. Work our church is cut out for us. Please consider praying for these things and too, as we enter into the spring and summer months in an increasingly post-COVID world. And I anticipate big things that God has left here. I'm highly optimistic in thinking that it is no accident that you are here this morning, that you were here this morning and you have some role to play in this. So as we end, be reconciled to God. And let's take up the post of being an ambassador of the gospel to this community with an open hand saying, Lord, what would you have for our church? Because the resurrection is always looming in front of us that says you can always be made new. So let's pray. Call the worship team up as we pray. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, we thank you for these truths, Lord. Help us to um, keep our hand to the plow, Lord. COVID has, it's easy to develop you know, isolation habits in COVID because that was the whole point is to isolate from one another. But Lord, um, we are a sent people. We are ambassadors, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, may we fulfill that purpose and that post that you have for us as Emmanuel. May we find health at the deepest and innermost corners of our church, the boldness to make the changes that we need to make. And Lord, 
the, 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 the power from your spirit and the energy and the will in whatever way that we have to then step into that, Lord, to see a new day in this church, a bright and new day. We pray for the city. We pray for the churches around us, Lord. That it wouldn't be just us that receives renewal, Lord. Bring renewal to all the churches around us. That there may be a multi-church movement going forward into these unique times you live in. That the Spirit of God just moves in mass. And the city of Wilmington and the surrounding areas are radically transformed. That's what we pray. And may we play our part, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.